Please listen carefully. Last term madness. Uh, this week we are joined by Al Scott. Hello. Uh, we're joined by uh, Beck. Hello. And Johan. Yay! Hello. Hello. And we're going to be talking about uh, Event Horizon, which was um, the 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 horror space mega game of Event Horizon. And um, why don't we kick off straight away for those people who didn't attend or didn't never never saw the film. Johan, why don't you tell us uh, what it was all about? Uh, Well, basically, if you haven't seen the film, it's about a a small crew um, of uh, astronauts, basically, going after a ship that's been uh, missing, presumed lost for seven years. Turns out it's been to hell, and uh, it's now come back to uh, take its revenge on something or other. Um, I've for the game I've I've expanded on it because it's I think in the movie uh, um, the crew is about seven people I think and that's not much of a mega game um, so I've pushed that up to forty four players um, uh, with all the uh, the bells and whistles that comes with that and the sort of um, yeah all the things you have to do to make that into something that actually works. Um, but in as a game, it's both a sort of um, classic mega game where you have team structures and you have a sort of council game and um, you have this this um, mission that you need to do and and other people have other missions that they need to do. But um, it's also sort of a dungeon crawl uh, where you enter this ship that's come back from from somewhere. Uh, and try to figure out where it's been, uh, what secrets it holds, and and uh, that part is a sort of a dungeon crawl. Uh, in a nutshell, that's it. Um, how did you transition from, you know, you talk about seven people in the film, and how did you, what, what, at what point did you get the idea of oh, how, how you could expand from seven people into 40-odd people? How did that come about? Um, for... For one, it was the the necessity for for it to for it to even be a mega game. It needed to have a certain amount of players, and how to solve that problem and create some sort of um, uh, some sort of conflict right from the get go. And and then I decided on having sort of well, maybe if this was a, a bigger even bigger deal than it is in the movie, what would that be? It would be an international event. Then who would go after it? What would be their sort of uh, motivation for doing it? And then I ended up with having, um, as the structure is in the game, you have the the UN team who are sort of spearheading this this whole uh, expedition, and then you have the Blackwater team, uh, which is basically a team of of uh, um, ship designers and and that sort of people. The the basically a whole team of the person who goes insane in the movie or the first person to go who goes insane in the movie and then you have um a bunch of other sort of you have the US represented you have the uh, you have um, a new version of Russia represented um African Union and uh China so you get a sort of 
what would a, a future slightly um, slightly different version of Earth look like in in 2047 when when the game is set? What would have changed from a sort of uh, massive space failure? It's supposed to be like um, man's um, attempt at breaking sort of the the last outpost before you enter deep space and and what what would happen if that all goes wrong all all hopes riding on it and it all goes wrong um what would that be and what would that entail for the for the sort of nations on earth and what would happen so it's sort of a, a play on that but also to just to get some sort of initial conflict going uh, what the um, one of my questions was what how you know, because I, I saw the movie when it first came out, and I would never have thought, oh, I'd never connected Event Horizon with a mega game. Now, it actually, on the day, it actually worked extremely well. Um, for you, had you been a fan of the film, or what, what, what was it you suddenly connected? How did you connect the two themes together? I, I'm a massive fan of the film. I can't tell you why. It's just, there's just something there about it. It's, it's, for me, it's, there are all these movies of, of, um, uh, where, where the general plot is everyone goes into space and then dies uh, horribly uh, and there's no escaping it um, and and most I think the idea is interesting because most mega games um, set out with the idea that you're going to make it out of, the, um, out of the game alive some people might not but most of them are going to make it out alive this sort of turns that on its head once you once you're in there, you, you're going to realise that that's not the case. It's just a matter of how dead you're going to be at the end of the game, basically. Um, and the transition into why 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 would this be an interesting mega game? Uh, it's because I wanted to explore. Um, the game starts off with um, slightly competing objectives, but it's basically everyone trying to figure out what the ship is. I wanted to explore how you can have sort of fluid team structures where um, you don't have any traitors from the get-go, but as the game progresses, people are going to voluntarily uh, sort of sign up for the for the uh, um, big bad enemy unknown team. Did did they? I think um, to an extent, yes. That's that's always hard to. That's that's one of the things that were was hard to test. But at the end, um, by my sort of last turn count of how many people had actually gone full on mad and just left the fleet for uh, to crew the Event Horizon, we had at least six players who were fully on board with um, the idea of just sticking on that ship and and doing its bidding, basically. Oh, man, I thought, I thought they were trying to help us. Uh, there you go, as a revelation. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe explains a lot of my day. Um, well, yeah, most, most, of, uh, most of our team, Team Blackwater, I think, fell into that camp. I think at, at some point towards the end of the day, I realised that I was the only person coming back to the ship and telling, telling Ben anything that was happening. <laughs> All of it bad. Yeah, it, it, got, it was bad and it got worse. Um, yeah. Uh, that makes me that makes me so happy to hear that, <laughs> was, that was the idea but you the the the, the um the hard thing was to sort of because you don't want everyone to go batshit bonkers from the get-go and just leave the fleet behind that that was always the sort of um hard thing to try and and um and, and try to balance and and uh 
I don't, I don't know if, if six players are enough, but it seemed to be enough to create a, a very interesting conflict towards the end of the game. I, I think that's that's exactly the right sort of number. You want you want a few people sort of turning evil, turning traitor, but you don't want too many because I think it does it does break down um, and you just get you get total chaos then. But um, yeah, I, I think that's about the right number. And, and possibly the sort of number that does naturally occur, I think. You know, once one or two people have done it, the rest start ganged up as, you know, the good guys because they, they want yeah. something to fight against. You know, they're not, they're not all going to join the either side of evil, you know. It's an, interesting way, it's an interesting way to approach the trade mechanics in a, um, that we've been doing. It's basically it's a different way of doing it, which I quite like. I like the fact that people have a bit more control over what they're doing, they're not set up. I mean, I appreciate you, I think you had one or two set up from the beginning, but it's, it's, I really like the idea that people can explore the, their own narrative and make a decision during the game as to where they sit. I think that, yeah, exactly. that, that makes for a good game, doesn't it? Well, I think yeah. it make, makes for an interesting game, at least. <laughs> I think, um, actually, what, one, of the, one of the things which was really interesting from the, the dungeon crawl side of it, so once you actually got onto the ship and you're you're wandering around exploring was the way that the um, the controls at those tables were kind of like sort of DMs in a sense. Like mm. there was a lot of flavor, there was a lot of um, a lot of atmosphere. I mean, it was, it was a bit manic in the first first few rounds when literally everybody just sort of piled into the ship. Um, so so those guys were a bit overwhelmed. But as the game kind of dispersed out a little bit more and you had people kind of moving around and the tables got slightly less hectic. Um, it was it was very much like kind of running uh, like a little mini RPG in some cases, um, lots of rich description and uh, sort of moments and, and a, a bits of kind of um, player driven narrative emerging, which were quite fun. Yeah, it was my my sort of one regret as as I was kind of fleet control. So uh, we we had the game split over two rooms. There was sort of the dungeon crawl, which was the actual event horizon in one room, and then the kind of rescue fleet in the in the other room. And I was I was in that other room pretty much the whole day, so I didn't get to see any of the dungeon or any of you know what was going on there really, which was which was just which was a shame. So if we run it again, I'll uh, I'll definitely <laughs> look to be on in in the other room. Yeah, I had had a lot of um, comparisons. It was very comparable to Dungeons of the Ender, I thought, mm. uh, in the way that it was set up. Um, but I guess because the, the the teams, but because of the way it's yeah yeah because the way it's set up and everyone has a similar objective, then there's quite a lot of good scope for over overlap and conflict, and you know it doesn't rely on. It, it doesn't rely on certain things going wrong or certain things occurring to keep keep the pace up. No, I I, I quite liked um, the Endor as as a game. I I did not like the sort of the idea of of uh, one team coming from above and the other team coming from below. You, you have these two sides and they clash in the middle where the where all the dwarves are and they get sort of stuck in the middle of it. Um, it it's I don't know. I think that's um, in that game. There were pretty much too many traitors. All, all, all it seemed like everyone who was coming from the surface were traitors in some way, shape, or form. And um, by half half the game had gone, uh, everything was on fire. And that's maybe that's interesting in some way. I, I wanted something more of a a sort of um, emerging feeling of paranoia. You, who could you trust? 
uh, that sort of thing. That that sort of the the uh, DM side of of doing control for the dungeon crawl sort of helped do that. We have a mechanic where uh the uh, the map control can go absolutely nuts with uh non-played characters and monsters as long as a player is on their own so it's th- that sort of nightmare thing that happens in the movie as soon as somebody goes off and tries to do their own thing they have nightmares and they get attacked by uh things from their past or you know things that they might have done wrong in the past and get sort of haunted by things. So we wanted to have that sort of thing uh, as soon as players try to go go off on, on their own because we want that thing where you sort of you stick together with people that you might not trust. Um, yeah, the from a counter perspective it was very interesting. Um, there was certainly lots to talk about which was interesting because the there wasn't a huge amount of briefing so I was kind of like, well, what are we going to end up talking about? But we had a ton of stuff to talk about. Um, and it, it, it carried on all day. It was a lot of discussion around, I think perhaps because everyone, everyone, what was quite nice was people, it wasn't too adversarial and everyone had a, I guess, something really useful they could bring to the party. So to an extent, you had to work together. Um, and I think the game was best when you had to work together. But when there was a... A degree of friction over, you know, who was going to, you know, do the heavy, heavy lifting to, to an extent. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it had, a, it was more that sort of co-op maker game, which almost back to your Yender point, yeah, and where you know Yender's definitely more almost an operational war game, really. You got two sides, they're having a fight, and, and yeah. that's it. You know, two very opposing teams, while. Uh, Event Horizon, something more like Den of Wolves, where actually everyone's starting off together. Sure, there's traitors and people go mad, whatever it might be. But, um, yeah, the, the core of it is still a co-op game, which mm. I think makes for a very different, uh, a different play style and a different kind of experience, I think. Um, one, I think possibly people enjoy more, maybe. Uh, it seems that people, a lot of people seem to like it anyway. Ben, we, you, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I was uh, going to say about uh, Den of Wolves, because... Um, I've run it in Sweden a couple of times now and and played it in in the UK but when when we've run it here there's always that point sort of turn to where you think do we really need to introduce the traitors <laughs> this seems to be going swimmingly without traitors and and that's something that I wanted to to sort of explore with this game yeah you did that well it worked really well so um I guess um, should we move on to? I mean, I think we all thought it was a, a really good game. Um, was there some bits you'd want to do different, Johan? I mean, I know you know the, the bit I was controlling. There was quite a lot we sort of had to come up with, sort of quite short notes on the day, sort of areas that we, you know, I guess you hadn't planned. So, where, where would you sort of look to move things in the future? Yeah, uh, there's there's quite a few things to be said about the the fleet game uh, that basically. Um, for 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 this game we had the sort of dungeon crawl element that had been tested play tested at least seven times uh and that worked really well the mechanic was there it, it, all, it was all very sort of sort of rules driven everyone understood it and we had no problems uh, in that room all day and then you have the fleet game which sort of has the same rules as as the dungeon crawl but on a slightly different scale a slightly different scope i had Something that I, I like and that worked really well is that you have the 
the fleet timer as as sort of a game timer where you have um, an action round of 20 minutes, very sort of standard mega game, and then you have team time, 10 minutes. But on the event horizon, uh, none of that matters because you you do as many actions as you can, and then you have a bit of team time, and then you do as many actions as you as you can. There's no like time restriction in in that sense, and the different tables in there uh, worked on different times as as well, different time schedules. Uh, so you you have uh, three iterations of of movement and action, uh, and then you have a bit of team time. Uh, so the 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 individual parts of the event horizon weren't in sync and they weren't in sync with the fleet. Uh, I thought that was going to be uh, lighthearted fun, uh, but it actually created loads of problems uh, when people came off the event horizons, uh, event horizon uh, full of adrenaline and, <laughs> and entered and just quickly wanted to get stuff done in a room where things moved at a different pace. Um, and that's something that I, that was hard to, anticipate uh and and um i think we managed on the day but we had to sort of make things up on the fly and and uh, so thankful to have um alex and and ollie to to sort of do those on the fly uh adjustments to how things would work also... thank you <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, I agree i think i think as an idea it worked really well it was it, and i think you almost wanted that where people do they've had a lot of excitement and and chaos and they come running into a much calmer room with maybe only 10 or 12 people in it uh yeah. and, and i like that kind of jarring disconnect but you're right it probably needed you know we had to enforce <laughs> enforce things quite harshly didn't i we? think um i think it was interesting because you're basically kind of turning a bug into a feature with that it felt like to me sort of Mega games always end up out of sync, and especially when they're split across multiple rooms and multiple phases of play. I don't think I've ever yet been to one where where everybody is in sync, and this kind of removes that as being a problem by by turning it into a feature of the game. Yeah, um, and it worked really well. Like you said, I think I think the whole dungeon crawl stuff worked really well with the way that the timings were. It didn't cause any problems that the tables were on different timings. There was definitely a bit of. Um, I think frustration if you because if you came back into the uh, into the main room at the beginning of the action phase, for example, you could potentially be waiting sort of 20 minutes before you can yeah. go back on the ship. And it wasn't really a lot to do for most players in the fleet room. Yeah. The, the only reason to sort of come back would be to either kind of resupply uh, on your life support or whatever, or, or to report back. But most of the time, you know, that takes sort of five minutes of of chat. So I, yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe it just needed a shorter action phase or something like that so that you have less less downtime yeah, what, when you're what, back in the room or something. Yeah, what what I've thought about doing is having um, a, a – first of, all, first of all, there needs to be more stuff going on in the fleet room. Uh, there, there was a, a, um, a, a sort of science-ish game where you could do uh, upgrades of your equipment um, and – uh, that's the the thing I've been sort of struggling with with this game is how much information to give players beforehand on what to expect and what they could be looking to upgrade and and that sort of stuff. And I think uh, I need to uh, I need to in- include more of of the sort of teasing. Uh, if you if you have a uh, blowtorch, you can turn that into a flamethrower. That sort of stuff needs to be clear from the get-go. So, you st- so once you stumble across a, a blowtorch, you go, hmm, this could come in handy later. 
I just need yeah, this, these these other bits. Um, so that did not work as intended. Uh, also, the sort of resource game uh, where I had loads of science players on the day going, uh, I need aluminum, I need uh, a nickel alloy, I need this and that. Uh, nobody has any of that stuff. Um, and there was plenty of that uh, in the fleet room from the get-go and even more to discover on the ship. So that was something that I need to figure out how to distribute that in a better way. Um, have think, maybe, yeah, go. Sorry, I, th I think part of the problem with that in terms of resource distribution was that there wasn't really any way to move between ships in the fleet room. Yeah. Like other than doing a spacewalk, which wasn't kind of takes your whole turn. You can't really do much. Um, it, like maybe it needed some sort of, uh, shuttle mechanic similar to yeah. what they use in, in Den of Wolves or something, just just to make that like logistics of moving people and goods from ship to ship a bit more uh, a bit more plausible. Because I, I felt, I mean, certainly from where I was standing, I didn't see any of that kind of crafting uh, or science game happening. I saw people trying to make it happen, but between all the ships catching fire and there not being any kind of realistic way to move resources around, yeah. it, it didn't really feel viable. It felt like you were better off just getting onto the event horizon. And, and doing stuff there because there was yeah. more to do and it was easier to do it completely agree with that and that's that's something that needs to be sort of adjusted for the next run just to to, to get um that there should be a a reason to be in the fleet room other than putting out fires on your own ship uh uh or ejecting yourself with the emergency cable uh, <laughs> and just having a bit of a breather there should be more to the because the council game was interesting and that worked, but if you were a player who were not on, who was not on the council and came out, um, there was not that much to do. You can spacewalk and you can do uh, different bits, and 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 it, there really wasn't enough of that. So I, I I need to figure out a way to to have an interesting fleet game that's uh, that is dependent on. Uh, people being on the event horizon and getting you stuff, uh, but also where you can have interactions between different ships. What I don't want is uh, a game where you can idly sit in the fleet uh, all game. Yeah, I think that was actually an important point. Was that most players? I think probably ninety-five percent did rush off, you know, straight away to 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 go to the event horizon, and probably of them. I don't know, two thirds rarely came back, you know, to the main fleet. You know, and there were some who I don't think did at all. But there were a few players who stayed in the fleet, maybe longer than they should have done. Or, you know, mm. And so I think, you know, there probably needs to be a real clear encouragement in, in briefs or, or whatever that, you know, unless you're a captain on the council, go to the event horizon real, real early sort of thing. You know, um, yeah. But yeah, just so it's really clear. It's, that that's what yeah, they it, it's quite difficult once you're on the ship and you kind of get deeper into it because of the, the way that the action economy works. Um, it's very difficult to kind of to come and go, and especially when paired with uh, with the fact that you can potentially be waiting sort of 15, 20 minutes to get back on the ship. I think I think most people, after they sort of tried going back once, were kind of discouraged and, and didn't do it as much as they otherwise might have. I think, I yeah. think if, if you can kind of find a way to lubricate that interaction a little bit so that it's less punishing to get on and off, yeah. maybe then all the other kind of fleet aspect stuff would, would come together more. Yeah, um, I, I ideally want the fleet room to come to, to be a place where you can go and get some sort of overview of what's going on. You can speak to the council. 
uh, you can have some some briefing from your team leader uh, and then go back in. Um, but I don't. It was sometimes the idea of punishing a player is fun, uh, but it's only fun for the game designer. It's never fun for the player. Uh, and the sort of 20 minutes wait time is one of those. Ha ha ha! That will be really funny when somebody finds out they can't go back on the ship. Uh, but it's not fun. Um, so that needs to that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's often a you know something we've talked about on this podcast and other podcasts talked about and people written about it is you know the whole kind of when you're dead or imprisoned or you know some sort of limitation on your actions. You often want that penalty in a design, you know, because it's an important part of you know the reward and penalty structure of the way the game works. But at the end of you know when it actually comes to the day, you're as a designer or as a controller or whatever looking at a miserable person sitting there mm. for 20 minutes annoyed, which is not what you, you know what anyone wants to make a game to run. So it's a, it's a really difficult one to do. But um, yeah, I think it's about minimising the penalty and make but still keeping ensure that there is yeah that it does what you need it to do in the game design. Yeah, well, we we had a mechanic uh, for the dungeon crawl where you could. Uh, uh, stop a player from moving and we had that in for like three play tests um, the three last play tests uh, where every play test one player would just get so annoyed that they wanted to just leave the play test and go home uh, so we just scrapped that thing altogether because it just created more it, it, it wasn't fun and it didn't create anything meaningful for it was just blocking each other and that's never fun it just locks two players down in some sort of eternal uh struggle that leads nowhere yeah i, I think that's it it's kind of you know allow the interaction you want without without you know so the the pieces the components whatever you want to call it the the bits of the game are effective it doesn't actually affect the players enjoyment of, of the experience I mean, yeah. what, what you could do for the, um, you know, when they're in the fleet room, was maybe some sort of control panel for the ship, for the, you know, each of the six ships where players could input and output, maybe things that they've find found, and maybe a sort of wider trading game, and not just trading for construction, um, no. uh, which is obviously put quite a bit of effort into, but maybe trading, maybe f- more formalised trading of information in some way, that could have been interesting. Yeah. I think I think the other end, and this was lightly in the game, but um, wasn't really expanded with a huge rule set. Was the idea that the fleet were essentially sort of sharing power and uh, life support, and they were also sharing it with the event horizon to some degree. So I think you know if you formalise those mechanics, that could become quite an interesting thing to debate in the council, to debate between players. Yeah, we'll give you some extra life support to your broken ship, but you give us some whatever you know resources mm. in exchange yeah because I, I could see that there were decisions to be made there but as a whole we didn't really understand um what how the inputs were you know relative to each other and yeah what was going on so when all the fires started there wasn't enough information as to why the fires had started mm. um so uh, you know that whole gate that could that could all be that could all be made um quite a bit deeper i reckon there's quite a lot of r- room for growth there and trading, and then, but still, I'm sitting there racking my head for ideas. It is quite tricky. I mean, I guess the other the other alternative is you rather than trying to flesh out the flesh the uh, the the uh, fleet game more, you could go the other other way and sort of minimise it um, and really lean into the the dungeon crawly part, right? Mm. Like you kind of the fleet is a thing while you're getting onto the ship and planning everything. 
um, all of which is very important and kind of like planning how to distribute the resources of the fleet to to affect your your rescue mission or your salvage mission or whatever your your objectives are but once you kind of engage with the with the that's it like everyone it's all in you know everyone's on everyone's in and the game kind of changes maybe that's another way that you hmm. could angle it i don't know yeah but both ideas are good i'm gonna have to see which which way i'm gonna run with it but but i i definitely the the main idea is is uh nobody gets out alive that's the main sort of premise of of the uh of the game and and um we had um one of my Swed Swedish control, uh, Nicholas, who's helped me. Um, I've got a bunch of ideas, and he sat me down with the whiteboard and just made it into mechanics, which I'm for which I'm eternally grateful. But he he, um, as soon as ships started to leave, uh, sort of turn um, seven or something like that, towards the very end of the game, um, people some some ships have had had enough of being on the event horizon and tried to leave, and he just went on their ships with. A bunch of sort of nightmarish ghouls and and zombies and just tried to tried his best to kill them and they were sort of epic fights and then they finally got away because that wasn't the entire point of of that exercise not to actually kill them but there should be some sort of struggle and some something to overcome before they can could actually leave and that was that was quite interesting the the sort of idea of you're you're almost you're almost free you're almost done and and keep that sort of paranoia and that sort of tension in the game I think I think the ending um, was really successful. It's, it's probably my favourite part of the game. Perhaps partly because we've got the, the mechanics challenges earlier on the day sorted. But also, I think it, you know some mega games, and again, I think we've talked about this before. But you know, they, they kind of peter out a little bit. You know, maybe the main conflicts kind of resolved, and then people just kind of fill the rest of the day. Or there's not mm. really an ending. It just keeps going to the end. Last turn's done, but there was no resolution. You know, and I think I know we've talked about it, and something I've tried in my games, and I think this did it really well as a proper conclusion. It, it was really good. Yeah, there was a clear ending. They had to leave the event horizon, but by a certain you know, turn, basically the last turn, or you know, they were going to run out of fuel. And so everyone knew there was an ending and everyone built towards it. And so those that turned evil sort of tried to stay on the event horizon, take control. The, the ones who were still trying to be good had tried to sort of try and stop the event horizon, try to destroy it. And while the others who were just being a bit more mercenary tried to get out with whatever that they'd stolen. And it, it created a really nice big conclusion with lots of different storylines that kind of played off against each other. It was yeah, really absolutely. good. Ending. Yeah. Which is a very climactic, yeah, very climactic struggle at the end. Yeah. And that wasn't fixed, and that wasn't a defined thing. It could have, no. and I think whatever happened, it was especially for our team. It was always gonna, it was always gonna be fairly climactic. Yeah, it was. No, it was yeah. very. I agree with Alex. Uh, that really was good. I um, think that the the level of kind of narrative, like emergent narrative, because it it felt like there were sort of seeds of narrative planted around. Yeah. Uh, but it really required player player agency to kind of make those seeds grow into distinct stories. And I know that that's kind of the one of the main things that people like about mega games is when you kind of have a, this player driven narrative but i think in a lot of mega games p players really kind of make it up for themselves um whereas this felt like it was a really good uh, a really good balance of stuff that's been sort of seeded mm. um but then the players kind of pick up pick up on those and really made made them into their own things which i think worked really well there's some strong strong storytelling in the, in the game the other thing, the other thing we, we touched on briefly earlier, which I thought was pretty interesting, was, uh, and I've talked about this before, about time and actions 
And we talked about everything being out of sync, but that working well. I liked how you had oxygen as an action resource. I thought that was really cool. I thought that, and I thought this, that that could have been expanded on more and that people should copy that. It was in the same way that Jim's Dungeons at the Endor had torches as a resource, but there was just, a, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was just a penalty for not having torches. But in, in your game, oxygen allows you to just do more and more and more, but eventually you're going to run out. And that kept uh, the pace of the game up. Um, I, I like that a lot. And even though I wasn't involved in it so much, but it was funny watching people come back and try and get oxygen. It's it's we have this thing where where you power up the different segments of the event horizon and there's some life support some oxygen there and and you start the the turn with a sort of bidding process um, where players think they have agreed on who gets to breathe and who needs to spend these oxygen oxygen uh, tokens but during the bidding process it, it always turns out that there's somebody trying to sneak in and not spend anything which means everyone suffers and that's that's always something uh that's creates tension and uh you want to get some people off the ship there was this thing at the end of the ship or uh, end of the game where where uh, uh a bunch of players were desperately trying to power up the bridge uh, that requires um 15 uh power on on that segment and the Chinese were on there just trying to raid the servers for as much as much of, of information that they could sell as possible, which drained the that part of the ship from energy. So there was that struggle as well. Yeah, I, th I think that kind of ties in a little bit what we were talking about earlier. It's having those different resources that people can use to kind of on the event horizon, but also on the fleets trade between each other and, and have those points of friction and, and debate. You know, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. Another um, really awesome thing about this game was no guns. <laughs> I thought that was fascinating. I mean, yeah, okay, without doing plot spoilers, you know, things developed, but um, I, I, I love the fact that we... It made it... I think Jim talked about this in the previous thing, is that it's if you give people, you know, nuclear weapons or allow people to assassinate people, then they try to solve everything with that tool. But when you take... People will use what you give them. You yeah, know, especially um, if it's big and shiny and powerful. Right, know. and suddenly for a group of mega gamers not to have any really powerful weapons was really interesting. Yeah, I, I assumed that that was a lie. Like in the <laughs> in the <laughs> like nobody has guns, and I was like, somebody definitely has guns. <laughs> oh, yeah. has nukes. And I was like, somebody definitely has nukes. <laughs> I mean, they did get blown up with nukes, right? Yeah, yeah right. We did definitely die due to high explosive weapons. weapons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, weapons got found and developed and so on, but but it was uh, yeah, overall um, a very enjoyable game, I think. Yeah, no, it was excellent. To uh, to version two point oh, whenever that emerges. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking to do her sort of version 1.8 or something like that for, for the next <laughs> one, which is in five weeks' time, and then do a proper uh, revision of it. I'm, I'm going to fix the sort of fleet issues and see where that takes us and, and then do a proper revision of it for um, hopefully a, um, a future London run. Yeah, yeah, you're coming back, right? That's, yeah. that's the deal. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the deal. Uh, well done. I think you've broken a whole new genre there and done so in style. I'm really, I'm, I'm, I was genuinely excited by the end of the day. I'm really pleased because it's going to mean a whole. It just opens a whole, whole. It's a whole new world of, of terrifying, terrifying places we can explore. Um, no, very good. Well done.
So thank you very much. Yeah. So, so moving on, uh, we're going to quickly talk about uh, New World Order, which Johan and um, and Alex both attended, um, which I believe is ba- it's it's um, Watch the Skies Without Aliens, right? Yeah. So it, it's it's sort of Jim's development, I think. I think came after of of Watch the Skies, um, but what he's kind of done is taken the aliens out and then moved it forward twenty years. Uh, and sort of created a new the new world state with slightly different nations. So rather than sort of some of the old favourites, um, uh, you know, sort of Britain or or Russia or or whatever, uh, he's kind of taken various possible trends and said, right, well, we'll have these will be the most important, powerful countries. So you got uh, more less common ones, so uh, like Poland and Mexico, and and so on. Um, on the day I was uh, I was playing Iran, uh, I was one of the Iranian leaders, um, and yeah, I kind of have to say I went into the game thinking it was a trick and Jim was tricking us and there was going to be uh, an AI invasion or, you know, something weird like that going on. But actually there was there was there was no trick. It was just countries playing off against each other. Yeah, I, I was uh, doing control for um, for Jim when he ran it for uh, uh, the uh, cyber defense um, training in Norway. Um, and uh, I did America's Control, which meant I was uh, in charge of doing the sort of interesting thing he's done is he's completely isolated the U.S., and the U.S. is purely mechanical. Uh, There's no way to than trying to influence them through different diplomatic actions that moves you along a a certain track and then gives you um, certain perks in the form of of, uh, U.S., cards that you can play to to basically standard uh, special action cards um, that you know and love from from watch the skies but you get them from from as a reward for for uh, for playing footsies with the us basically and you move along certain tracks you can do things that will advance you in space or um, um, be good for your pr or um I think five different tracks where you can you can um, move along and get packs from the, from the US, and I thought that was a a pretty interesting uh, thing to do. Yeah, that is interesting. It reminds me a little bit of um, some of the games where you have some sort of power figure that that's kind of NPC. Some of those have like a kind of a, a control actually playing those. So was the American was the American um, thing literally just purely mechanical, or was there like Pure- Purely mechanical. No, no, no. Purely mechanical, and and you could not. I I was instructed never to talk to a player as the US. It was purely that track, and it it made it made it sort of makes uh, sense in that nonsensical Trump kind of way, where you have some (laughs) a country that's so erratic that you can basically get them to do anything as long as you prod them for long enough. Yeah. Yeah, they felt they felt very um, yeah unpredictable and uh, unmanageable really. Uh, as Iran, we didn't after we spent we put any effort into it at all. We just figured it was never never going to be worth it. But I'm not sure that was strategically wise or not. But did so what, and what sort of stuff did the US end up doing? Um, in our game, not a huge amount. I don't. I think you know people got some yeah interesting special action cards, but there wasn't any major twists. I don't think. Don't know if in your run they were more important. Yeah. Uh, in in our run, uh, they they had I think Japan had 
um think they got like f- five turns in a row they got this sort of space card so they got a massive space station off the of the US uh that sort of stuff we had an, another issue with um the sort of non played uh US where both the uh non alien teams uh which were that there are two sort of secret teams of uh, hackers and terrorists um and they both tried to uh take the US down uh, which meant that Jim uh had me doing loads of erratic sort of uh missile attacks on and random targets and stuff like that but that didn't make it it didn't have a huge impact on on the rest of the game uh because the rest of the game was pretty much um uh, all these n- national teams just trying to get one up on each other yeah yeah i mean i think in something i felt the us was actually almost a was kind of a side mini game the, the core game absolutely was the sort of 18 or, or whatever it was sort of teams really doing everything to yeah get ahead of the others but mm. I, I don't know what happened in your run we did i don't we didn't have a single war the whole day uh it got close on a couple of occasions you know there was sort of you know everyone was mobilized and sort of two minutes away from war but that, there never was um there was a couple of you know insurgencies and things they needed putting down but there was there was never open conflict it was a very it was a political game it was an economic one it was fought in the un and and the uh, the sort of secret teams, the hackers and the terrorists you mentioned, you know, uh, certainly me as Iran as sort of a bit of a rogue state, uh, we just spent most of our money paying them to do to do things for us, you know, sort of as, as you know, secret deniable force. Well, you so without the um, without the overarching kind of alien threat that you get from Watch the Sky, where you're trying to figure out what the aliens are, and then you know there's a kind of yeah, there is that climax yeah. that we were talking about before. So what what was the kind of what was the climax of the game? Was there one or was it kind of more like a sandbox for yeah. the teams and who comes out, who's the biggest the biggest kid yeah, in the sandbox? It was definitely more a sandbox game, yeah. And I think the first probably two thirds that worked quite that worked really well. Like everyone had quite strong beliefs and quite clear objectives. Ours was basically to, to to defeat Saudi Arabia, and we spent a lot of time, and money, and effort doing that. And Tom Mendelssohn, who was playing for the leader of Saudi Arabia, I think was quite legitimately quite upset with me on a couple of times just for doing these evil things where I'd pay terrorists to, to screw him over. But um, eventually, it got to the point where we'd beat them down so much, the government had been replaced. Essentially, we had to come to a peace peace deal. You know, there was yeah, essentially, you know, it was kind of the, the narrative had played out in in our story. And, and I think a lot of other countries had, had done the same. Um, and so probably the last two or three turns, or the last kind of quarter or third of the game, it, it kind of just sort of people started playing around the edges. Like we started investing a lot of money in cloning and we eventually cloned dinosaurs and, and opened a Jurassic <laughs> Park in Tehran and stuff like that. And uh, I think the Indian team, I think it was India, anyway, created, you know, sentient AI and, and, and this sort of stuff. So it, it got to just be a bit like the, it wasn't really that structure. It was just playing around a bit at that point. And, and so I think it could have possibly done with a slightly bigger ending maybe might be more interesting but we had sim- similar experience in 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 Norway where uh, where basically uh, two thirds of the game um, the first two two thirds were was pretty much the same thing very sandboxy very sort of uh, um, building up towards something and then uh, not really not really getting that climax it was more of a uh, a what what would happen next kind of uh, debrief. Yeah, I, I think what was quite interesting with that, I think talking to Jim afterwards, that was kind of a deliberate design decision. Essentially, the climax 
of almost every story which could have been a war right that it was either a war or a peace deal but i think everyone always went to some sort of peace deal or at least some sort of you know kind of uh you know settling of the situation because war was incredibly expensive and incredibly negative on you uh, and obviously that was a deliberate design decision and possible one that models real life um what it did mean though there wasn't a sort of big gaming climax it no. also meant from a sort of mechanical point of view there was a player for every country who was a defense minister who was essentially their map player and it did mean that there were a whole bunch of rules of moving tanks around and doing stuff with them that were never really used other than for the occasional you know sort of you know mobilization to deal with a crisis but they, they never they didn't actually have that much of a game because there was never a war so uh, i think for me one of the big changes that game probably needs is the sort of covert operations bit the hackers the terrorists the spies mm. that needs to be expanded out into a game that the defenders ministers can kind of really get into and give themselves a bit more to do maybe yeah i think that that's a common theme i found with a lot of mega games where there's the layering of of war mechanics on top of a diplomatic layer because mm. quite often what happens is the political players end up making deals and um and kind of the, the military players end up sort of, you know, sitting on an objective for four turns or six turns or something like that, not doing much. Um, but yeah, may, maybe just kind of expanding their remit so that there are other, other, other things that they can do within the game to keep them occupied is the way to go for that. Yeah, and I think particularly in this game where the folks apps, you know, there was loads going on in that kind of covert operation space. And, you know, I, you know, I think you could build a really interesting game out of that. It probably just needed more focus on that and less worrying about, you know, tank counters and, and, and fleets and stuff. Though probably you still need them in there for the, for the, you know, one out of five runs of the game where it does turn into a hot war, you know. Yeah, well, perhaps perhaps just have them a little bit more abstract if the mm. war is, is a less desired and less likely outcome. Yeah, I guess it's yeah. hard to know until it's played. Yeah, it's an interesting time. one, isn't it? Because you've got, on one hand, you need quite simple combat resolution for a game of that scope. On the other hand, you need quite a detailed game for the defence players when there isn't a war. And mm. it's normally the other way around. So that would take a little bit of, I think, a little bit of thought, actually, how to design a system where really the bulk yeah. of the game is about not being in conflict. But how do you measure, how do you interact with other players if you're not in conflict, it's got to be some sort of measurement system or tension. I, 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 I think, you know, the answer is in the game. You know, it's, we were paying, you know, huge sums of, of money to terrorists and hackers to do stuff. We were using our own agents, you know, special forces and whatever to do stuff. Um, and so you've kind of got that, but it was just quite light and it was quite freeform in a lot of places too. It was like, our oh, control, we're going to give this terrorist whatever is $10 million to do this thing. What, what would the impact be? And, yeah, they'd work it out. Um, so, you know, just make that more mechanical. Make, you know, it so that, you know, you can, your spies are fighting spies and hunting terrorists and your hackers are doing things which then affect, you know, I don't know, whatever your stock market or whatever it might be, you know. I think that there's there's definitely scope in the game to, to expand that out. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a... It's a... It's a, it's a challenge, isn't it? Because, like I said, th this is a thing which happens in quite a lot of mega games, I think, where you have that, that pairing. Um, but it sounds like overall, would you say it was an entertaining game, Beck? Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was a good fun one. Yeah, I, I thought it was, it was solid, definitely. Yeah, yeah. We had, in for Norway Run, we had uh, pretty much 100% players who, who had no mega game experience because they were all enrolled in this sort of... Uh, um, cyber defense um, educational program uh, or alumni of, of, of that same thing but uh, for them it seemed like um, I think all players had loads of fun 
uh, engaging in the sandbox and and some entertaining stories came out of it so so i'd say it was uh, definitely sort of entertaining and and successful in that way Good. yeah i think that's fair i think it's a game where i thought it would need a twist to be interesting it sounds to be you know uh, sort of real life one of our world is, is more interesting than i expected <laughs> are there any other any lessons for a post uni duo power world um i don't know i don't know how realistic the bits uh you know jim pulled out to make an interesting game are so i don't know possibly there'll be lots of hackers and terrorists <laughs> i think that's probably where we are now already right well thanks very much everybody that's uh that's a couple of games covered uh, congratulations to johan and Indeed. um and that's well certainly goodbye from me cool goodbye bye bye yeah, goodbye for me thanks everybody